Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, and apparently Spotify helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's just as distracted as I am, or possibly more, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Uh, we are recording this Monday night during a college football playoff uh, of our future conference Gerald SEC uh, all around so you know we win either way which is nice but just still want to keep an eye so as we're recording Gerald and I each have the second screen experience of a uh, college football game that has players who Steve Sarkeesian has coached before so uh, it's a Texas game I mean, I think it's fair. It's also a Texans game if you're a Bill O'Brien uh, fan or hater, depending on how you feel about that, because, well, uh, that man cannot call a red zone play to save his life. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're going to talk about some teams that couldn't make three-pointers to save their life. The Texas men <laughs> struggled in Stillwater. The ladies hosted Tech and lost. They got a rebound game uh, because, well, the Baylor game was canceled. They got COVID. Uh, we'll down the 40. We'll give you some Godzilla Tron, and we'll close it out, as we always do, with some bang the drum. So the men opened up conference play with a big win over Kansas State, and you and I were like, oh, is this what they're supposed to look like? And then they went to Stillwater and said, oh, this is what we're used to them looking like, falling to Oklahoma State 64 to 51, the offense was once again abysmal. Outscored 34 to 23 in the second half, including 8 of 27 from the floor. Yikes, yikes, yikes. Not a great outing for Texas at all. Kyle, I, I tried to wrap my head around what the heck happened, and I just couldn't. I don't know if they're a bad basketball team, if they're just an inconsistent offensive basketball team, but they're 0-3 against the good team, so I don't necessarily know what the problem is or how they can solve it early in conference play. Yeah, it's it. This is interesting, Gerald. I, I had a friend text me who's you know very pessimistic about Texas sports and uh, said, "Oh, great, we're worse than last year. This team's terrible. We're going to miss the tournament." Um, and I had a friend who's who's optimistic about Texas sports text me and say, "There's no way we could shoot that bad." Every night, um, you know, it's got to get better. And I find them somewhere in the middle between optimistic and pessimistic because uh, I found both of them to be outside of my frame of view. Um, look, the the kind of optimistic take is, yeah, they, they, they shot 6-22 from the three-point range. They're a team in the beginning of the year was quite good from, from deep. Um, you know, they're inconsistent from that range, but, you know, they, they took – a lot of shots from there, and and you have to imagine they'll make some some of those. They also are a team that that kind of lives off forcing turnovers and didn't do uh, a ton of that. I think they forced just nine uh, to to go with turning it over themselves fourteen times. Again, Chris Beard likes to win that battle, so there was a lot of things um, you could think of. And then you know the other thing is when your offense isn't working, easy points are what you want. They went uh, five of seven for the free throw line in the second half. Didn't take a single free throw in the first half. So five of seven the entire game. That just shows not aggressive enough on offense getting in the paint getting fouls where they have some guys who can who can you know make plays in tight spaces inside you have to uh, exploit that and make free throws a part of your game so all right the optimist is is i think the offense can and should and will be better the pessimist says um you know they 
they basically have started conference with a couple you know they've beaten COVID twice effectively they beat West Virginia that was a bit COVID less and they beat uh, a Kansas State team that I think they would have beat either way but who was severely COVID limited and they actually were down in the first half to to that Kansas State team they obviously rose in the second half and maybe again that's Kansas State having seven players available but the pessimist in me says, you know, let's beat a full-strength team for real uh, and maybe do it on the road. Uh, we'll see. But either way, I mean, it felt like this was a team that they were should have been better than, but they did not in any way play better than. Oklahoma State was up for it. They were so excited to, to win this game. They got the upset, and they, and they very much played like they were playing for it. And Texas needs to understand they want to be one of the big dogs this year in the conference. Teams are going to try to knock them off. They're going to try to upset them. Um, and they're going to play because it's the Big 12, really good teams. The nice thing here is almost everyone, except Baylor so far, in Big 12 has a blemish. They've taken a knock, even Kansas. Like, this is a conference that's really, really, really good top to bottom. Really, 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 really good. In fact, uh, I think, you know, if the tournament started today, all – of the Big 12 schools, all 10 of them would be in the tournament based on Ken Palm rankings. So it's a really, really, really good conference. But that just means Texas has to be on, and they need to show that they can win uh, against full-strength teams and on the road. You can't say all 10 teams because Oklahoma State um, can't Fair. isn't eligible <laughs> this year. But that's – I mean, I get – like the point you're making stands is that like the, the Big 12, and you and I have said it before and we'll say it again – is in the conversation for the best basketball conference in the country. Like you have to bring them up when you have that conversation. That being said, Texas does not fire, buy out Shaka Smart and make the moves and add the money to the staff that they do to get what is basically at this point two, three games in a conference play a similar, if not, I'm going to say it at least worse on the offensive side of things result. Like people are going to be aghast, but like, the offense seems like it's regressed and they've added a lot of guys. Now, granted, Texas lost some talent to the NBA, which is fine, but like the offensive system, the offensive philosophy seems to not get the job done. And you and I, again, talked about it already. You cannot go six of 22. You can't, you shooting 22 three pointers is fine if you're going to make 11 of them. Like if they make five more three three uh, pointers this game, this is a completely different ball game, right? But Texas is unable to do that and they again have had more of these than they have not. That's the thing that is problematic. Even in the games that they've blown out less talented teams, they've had some really bad shooting performances. And so it, Texas only had two players in double figures. Timmy Allen did a 10 and 6. Andrew Jones did a 10 and 4. Ramey was, scored 9, but uh, made just two shots, two of seven from behind the arc. He was not great. Disu off the bench grab, uh, scored 6 and grabbed 9 uh, in his performance. Like Texas, but like Oklahoma State shot. 38% from the floor. Like you should be able to beat a team that shoots less than 40% from the floor. Right? That's that's what Chris Beard teams want to do is limit people to a low shooting percentage. Now, granted Oklahoma State uh hit 8 of 17 from beyond the arc, but like if a team again, I, I like it's weird it's like hard for me to wrap my brain around the concept of like Texas was worse than a team that shot 38% from the floor, Keelan Boone, I mean, he was the way he, he had hit five of Oklahoma State's eight three-pointers. Like, that guy's not going to do that every game. But again, you've got to capitalize on your ability to shut people down. And this offense just doesn't look capable of doing so. Look, there's. I'll just say this. Oklahoma State is a good team. 
They, they are not a bad team by any stretch of the imagination, but there are better teams in the conference. So if you want to be one of the best teams in the conference, you have to, you can't just win every home game, right? Even against the good teams, you have to win a couple uh, away games. Um, and it's going to be a tough conference with, you know, some, some good defenders. Uh, Marcus Carr in, in against Kansas state looks like he was playing like the player we thought he could. Um, he's had a couple good games. He he looked like a, a player who who could score. In this one, it looked like Kansas or excuse me, Oklahoma State just said our off our defensive game plan will be to stop Marcus Carr penetrating. What offensive adjustments do you have? And they just kind of on pick and rolls kept a guy in front of him at all times and didn't let him get by and get free. And you saw that limit our entire offense. So what is our plan B? Who who are the other shot creators? Can we find a way to reliably get the, the ball to our bigs inside? You know, can we attack and get to the free throw line? There needs to be some adjustments. I'm not saying we have to change Chris Beard, you know, his entire offensive philosophy and just start running. I don't think this team is necessarily built for, for run and gun. Um, but, you know, at the very least, if you're getting fewer offensive possessions like we've talked about, make use of them, get to the free throw line, get high efficient shots, um, you know, and they shot a lot of threes, but they also turned down some and it felt like there was a little bit of fear of being the guy to miss the shot and that went away a little bit against West Virginia. We, we were excited seeing that. Um, it looked like it crept back a little. So, even if it's early in the shot clock, if you get a guy with an open look, if it's in transition, you get the open look, like maybe we take it. Maybe we haven't been offensive rebounding so well that people feel confident they have that blanket, but still we have to get some shooters hot. We have to get some guys, some looks for that chance to do it. Um, but you know, I, I, I do think it is a little bit of an alarming trend just to watch, you know, what the ceiling of this team is, is going to be um, if they will continue to win the turnover battle enough to create, good looks on offense and if they can create in half court uh as an offense enough that even if they play good defense that they they can you know get wins so um i'm very curious who steps up uh in the next couple games for ut yeah texas doesn't really have like a man right like the man like you in years past you've known who the guy has been in texas doesn't necessarily have that right now texas is now one and three on road trips oh and three against the best three teams they faced this year which again is not a trend you want to keep up next up for texas taking on those dirty dirt burglars oklahoma sooners in austin on tuesday before iowa state on saturday on the ladies side of things texas Played uncharacteristically very poorly against Texas Tech. Lost 74-61. The Baylor game was postponed due to COVID. Not shocking. And Texas took on UT Rio Grande Valley and looked impressive in that one. So we'll talk probably more about the Texas Tech game than the UT Rio Grande Valley, even though it's more recent because, well, the the Tech game has some stuff to talk about. Tech jumped out to a massive lead uh, in the first quarter. Uh, 55% in the first quarter, shot nine free throws, blew it open in the third quarter thanks to uh, 19 free throw attempts, uh, which is a big number that's actually um, more than Texas took in the entire game, which is uh, insane to say, but... It was a lopsided affair for Texas Tech, and that's not something you see from Vic Schaefer teams very often. Yeah, I mean, look, right, this was also one where Vic Schaefer, you know, had a blow-up at an opposing coach that he got a technical for. You don't necessarily see that for uh, from Texas particularly often, but I, I did like that Vic's explanation basically said, you know, she was – it was early in the game. There was still the game was still pretty close. Obviously, there was about a twenty free throw disparity at that point, which only grew. I think it was like a thirty some odd 
free throw disparity by the time all was said and done. But um, there was uh, the the opposing coach of Texas Tech was screaming at the uh, officials working the, the the board, not letting you know some starter substitute, uh, basically a substitution at the half. She was screaming at Texas personnel and Vic Schaefer the lion that he is protects his people. Anyone associated with Texas basketball from, you know, the water boy, the towel guy, the, the, you know, uh, color commentator, the person running the shot clock, the, the guy who, who sweeps or, you know, mops the floor when somebody falls. Um, Vic protects anyone related and, and he did so. And, and even though they lost in that game, man, I want a lot of respect for Vic Schaefer for just standing up for the, the people that, you know, represent the entirety of the, the program you know he stands up for his kids in the same way he's a fiery guy um, but this one yeah I mean the game itself I just wanted to throw that out there but the game itself I mean really came down to foul trouble for Texas um, they they got Texas's bigs in foul trouble early um, they got to the line early and often you know they 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 had about as many free throw attempts in this game as Texas had total points. I mean, it was just a wild, crazy disparity. Kudos to, to Tech. Um, Vivian Gray is a, is a really good, you know, big, a good inside scorer. She got 17 free throws herself, which, you know, she turned into 23 points, right? I mean, it, it's the math is very easy. It's it's the type of stuff we just spent uh, talking about what Chris Beard should do. I mean, if, if you're playing a team that's, you know, better than you uh, or your offense, is struggling to get something going, get it inside, get to the free throw line. That's, you know, age old. That's, that's peach basket stuff. That's, that's the way the game was, was drawn up and, and invented. Um, but to, it's not always easy to do it. And to text credit, they, they did it. And they uh, hurt Texas on both ends of the floor by getting multiple people in foul trouble. Uh, Audrey Warren was, didn't foul out, but didn't play the entire fourth quarter because not only did she have four fouls, but had a nasty collision yet again. Um, heart of a lion um just just so tough but anyways i mean between injury and foul trouble and and people you know coming back from injury not playing their max minutes this was uh texas is one of their worst performances you know of the year honestly uh and and that's saying something because they've had some really tough games so far tech is not a bad team by any means but i think texas had just gotten to that top 10 ranking we really thought they were cruising and heading in the right direction and it was a bit of a shock to the system vic actually compared it to the time he lost like i don't remember the score but basically by 50 points to yukon as his one of the worst losses of his career so so I think the message is very clear that he did not think his team played uh, anywhere near where they should and are capable of playing, but only up from here. Yeah, he's definitely not uh, going to let anybody off easy for that performance. Um, Texas shot 21 of 72 from the floor. They were 2 of 18 in the third quarter. It's part of why uh, Tech had that big third quarter, but like it's... Again, it was a, a team that shot poorly from the floor, 7-23 from, from three-point range. And again, I mentioned it already, but Texas shot as many free throws in the game as Tech did in the third quarter. Like, Texas took 19 free throws. Tech did that in the third quarter. So, like, that's where some of that disparity comes in. And so, Texas... Again, that's not something that's going to happen to them often, right? That's not uh, – Tech clearly has something going on. They've got a, a big down low that tech, that they took advantage of, but I think Texas will very likely have a better plan in place uh, next time uh, they take on the Red Raider. Texas got it uh, going again against Rio Grande Valley. Again, this one's not a lot to talk about. Um, Elia Matharu scored 18 in that game. Texas uh, jumped out to a 10-point lead in the first quarter and – 
just snowballed from there. Like, there's not really much to talk about. Uh, just the usual suspects in that one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, I did want to talk about the fact that, that Baylor yet again tried to duck Texas with constantly with COVID. They're very scared. The Branch Covidians uh, out in Waco. Um, anytime I get to use that phrase, I will use it. I'll say it again. The Branch Covidians in Waco. Um, it's good. It's good. They got the Rona. They got the Rona just in time to duck Texas. Um, but anyways, no, the, this was maybe a needed tune-up game after we talked about Texas playing a pretty bad game. So what we're hoping is that... Um, that momentum, you know, ratchets up uh, so they can carry that into um, two games they, they could, maybe should win this week, but one of them at least should be uh, a real challenge uh, in, in West Virginia. So, so hopefully they get things right. A 2-0 and a week after uh, this week, which, you know, generously 1-1, one and one, maybe a half and one uh, against UTRGV, who is certainly out, outmanned. But a uh, 2-0 and a week next week would go a long way. Yeah, I mean, there's an opportunity for them to get back right again. Kansas uh, on Wednesday and then West Virginia over the weekend, both at home. So uh, Texas, again, hoping to get right before uh, before the conference schedule definitely picks up. So that's the part of the show where we cover all the stuff that we don't get to in the first 15 minutes, and we down the 40. Texas on the football field got a big commitment from four-star safety out of California, Larry Turner Gooden, four-star safety from Bishop Alamany High School in Mission Hills, California, number 189 in the country, number 13 in the state of California, number 15 safety. Apparently, he signed during December, but somehow all of the sources and all of the people kept it a secret. So so he's signed, and I think he's enrolling early. That's incredible that you get a guy uh, enrolling early after early signing day. Uh, the, the the quiet in this day and age in 2021 is something. Um, Gerald, I, I was thinking about this, and I didn't put it in the notes. So I'm, I'm catching you on the spot, and I don't have an answer because I'm genuinely thinking, who is there a is there another uh, hyphenated Texas football player in the past 10 or 15 years who – who was great? No, no one came to mind. Maybe our listeners can tweet at us if if you're thinking of one. Uh, Lil Jordan is not hyphenated, uh, and that's a first name. Texas could have had Jackson Smith Jigba, but uh, they didn't offer. Sure, which sure. So I'll always remind everybody that we can't never forgive Tom Herman for that. Don't need to bring that up. I didn't mean to throw salt in in the wound there, but nonetheless, they they get a guy who very athletic, plays both ways, but is certainly you know projected to play at safety at the next level, a position of, of need for them. Um, so you know, an All American player announced at the All American game, just just a, a an elite talent coming from California, Gerald. I believe everyone who listens to this podcast understands, but but did did anyone maybe misunderstand your uh, your slightly <laughs> cryptic tweet about immig- about uh, twenty what are we twenty second century? immigration patterns from california to texas i get that it was cryptic and i get that i i I mean i put it out there in jest but there were a lot of people that didn't get that the californian i was talking about was a four-star safety who honestly will probably be i think a high upside guy for texas and so there were debates about people moving from california and somebody dropped it don't (laughs) california my texas and i rolled my eyes it is what it is but this is going to sound bad and i want everybody to hear me out texas's ability to capitalize on other people screwing up or dropping the bag in this recruiting class is the reason why it's been where it has been like sure the or the the offensive line class is specifically because they position themselves really well for mario cristobal to leave and for them to grab kelvin banks and then that ball picked up speed really quickly the reason larry turner gooden is in this class because they they kept developing relationship in spite of him being committed to arizona state and then when arizona state got popped for recruiting violations they ended up suspending his lead recruiter he opened things up put texas in a really good position and so i'm 
glad that these breaks are finally starting to fall Texas's way, and maybe they're less breaks and more Texas being um, proactive and putting themselves in opportunities for these breaks to happen. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 that's a good point. I mean, obviously, we know uh, some recruiters on the staff, Sark included, have connections in California, have connections around the country outside of just Texas. Um, but you know, it, it's great to go get the kid you want from wherever you want. Joins Malik coming from California in this class, um, but Gerald. No matter where they're from, um, there's a lot of players in this class. I believe 27 is the number now, and it may not be done. What What are you hearing? What are you thinking about uh, who else may be might be out there? Um, but Jacoby Matthews is the is the one, and then uh, Devon Campbell is the guy that we've been talking about for forever. Now Texas currently sits with 27 in the class, which again is just an astronomical number. Um, they're number five in the country. If Texas lands either of them, but more again likely Campbell, they will jump to number four ahead of Ohio State. Um, and Campbell's deciding on signing day, which is in like five weeks. Amazing. We get to do this thing all over again with, with second signing day. I don't think we should call it early signing day and, and regular signing day now. It's signing day one and signing day two. So uh, recruiting, is, is as Mike Roach will tell you, is a 365 uh, type of, type of uh, gambit at this point. But what about second signing day, to do a little uh, Lord of the Rings reference? Uh, just another random cryptic football thing. There have been talks for a month, six weeks-ish, that Gary Patterson was flirting with, talking with, uh, hanging out with, thinking about uh, sending good morning texts to a job on the Texas staff. Well, he was in town over the weekend, according to Chip Brown, and he was meeting and touring, and and then uh, on Sunday evening, somebody noticed on the Texas University of Texas job board that there's a posting for a special assistant to the head coach position, which, if you know anything about state jobs you got to post those things before you fill them so it seems like gary patterson might be in the bag for texas i mean it's very interesting i love that we're a state school so every literally everything is uh is public record um so that that has to be posted out there that may be weird for patterson coming from you know a not updating his resume in in about 25 years and b uh coming from a private school but nonetheless uh if that is in fact him um gerald the tweet that I thought was underrated and should have gotten more response uh, was the, uh, you know, it requires three references uh, to apply and who would Patterson's three references be? I, my, like, my gut initially uh, was that it should be the uh, sculptor who built Patterson's statue because that's an incredible flex. Yeah. Um, it should have it been the A&R guy who discovered him as a musician. Um, and then I, I think, you know, the, the third one, um, like, if you really want to stunt on people, go get someone at like wherever he came from West East Waynesboro state college division seven football, um, just to show, you know, this is started from the bottom. Now, now I'm here, but I think you really, really highlight, obviously Crystal Conte could fit in there too, but uh, that's too serious. Uh, I think you really, really start and end with the guy who built you in bronze, like five years ago too. That's that statue's been up since like 2018. You could just send three different pictures with your statue. Like send it. This is a <laughs> selfie me and my wife took when the day it went up. And then here's a picture that my best friend t- took when they were there. Oh, and here's just a solo shot of the statue outside of the stadium. No, so we'll keep you updated when that thing goes official. But I mean, it seems like it is official 
officially official. Another one that's officially official, Jalen Tyson, after entering the transfer portal, uh, decided to, I'm going to go ahead and say this, and regardless of how the basketball turns out, your move from Austin to Lubbock is decidedly um, an interesting decision. We'll just say it at that. But he is transferring to Texas Tech. He was committed to Chris Beard at Tech and then flipped the commitment uh, when Beard was hired, but he decided to go back uh, to the Plains to play some basketball. Yeah, I wish him well. Texas for Texas Tech is not really a rivalry, but Tech fans would tell you differently, so I don't mind this it's not like he went to a rival um but as noted by the comments on his announcement and half of them being about chris beard from tech fans it is very much their biggest rivalry and their biggest thing in the world so this is a huge huge news for tech anytime this guy does something um you know it's going to be in all of our social medias if you're a texas fan uh every point he scores will probably be tweeted at us but you know nonetheless i still still wish him well uh no hard feelings for the kid um you know you have to make your choice. Sometimes I guess it's Lubbock. You and I always say this, you only get one career. You only get one athletic career. So you got to do for your, do what's best for yourself while you're still able to do so. And in that same vein, the volleyball team had a couple go out, one come in. Skylar Fields, after entering her name into the transfer portal, is headed to California, so she will be playing at USC. Hitter Madison Williams is transferring to NC State. She's been hampered by a knee injury for her. She was a high school All-American coming in, but just hasn't seen the floor much due to injury. But coming in, a name that you're probably familiar with if you watch college volleyball, Maddie Skinner from Kentucky is transferring in to Tech. If you watched the national championship game last year, you may shiver at that name. She had 19 kills against Texas in that uh, that national championship match, which absolutely sucked for us to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's tough to lose Skylar Fields. I, I, that since Lexi Sun has been the 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 most uh, like dang it transfer though I, I think Fields actually contributed more in her time at yeah, Texas obviously um, Sun had the upside but you know uh, Fields did it I mean she gets one more year basically and good for her to go um, you know like we said you get one career you get to do it the best you can um, but yeah uh, it's it's um, a homecoming of sorts as well for Maddie Skinner, who's I think originally from Katy um, and went to Kentucky for two years. Um, you know, really, really talented, should slide in. Um, I mean, this is like, this should be great for, for Texas immediately. But the thing that maybe I was most excited about with this announcement was um, underneath it in the replies, Logan Eggleston said, so, so, so excited and about I don't know. I'm going to guess here. Nine exclamation points. Um, so I, that makes me feel good. That makes me feel like uh, as a lay person covering the team uh, who thought this was good, but but seeing um, superstar Logan Eggleston, you know, one of the best players in the country, be excited about it is very good. I mean, when you're captain, when you're leader, when the All-American is excited about it, then you know it's a good Move Janae Jefferson on the softball team has officially been named to the 2022 USA softball national team. She'll re represent the United States as a part of the 2022 World Games in Birmingham, Alabama. I, I mean, I have spent hours on this podcast collectively singing the praises of Janae Jefferson. She's an all-time great, you know, UT Longhorn softball player. We obviously start that conversation with Kat Osterman, but you don't have to go down that far. We could redo our, our Rushmore at some point, and she's certainly in that conversation, a three-time All-American, Texas's career leader in batting average and hits. Um, 
last year was the leader in, in hits, batting average, on-base percentage, stolen bases. Um, she just, you know, she can kind of do it all utility second baseman. The Jose Altuve of, of Texas softball. I like it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, she will be representing uh, the Longhorns very well. Uh, and then run it back one more for a national championship. Yeah, just one of two Big 12 players on the team. She will join OU catcher Kinsey Hansen on that squad. Baseball announced the date for the – Alumni game February 5th. The alumni roster has not been named yet. Seems like there's some, I don't know, things in flux they're trying to figure out. And then on a on a sad note, we wanted to, to end our, our news segment with this. Former Texas defensive coordinator Greg Robinson uh, passed away over the weekend at 70. The outpouring of, of memories and responses from former players and former coaches, um, which is absolutely crushing. And we uh, just wish all the best. Our, our thoughts and prayers are with uh, Coach Robinson's family. Yeah, absolutely. I believe his son said it was uh, Alzheimer's. So um, Robinson, a, a coach who had two stints with the team, left after the 05 Rose Bowl and then came back um, after, was promoted to defensive coordinator, was on the staff, came back to help Mac. Um, but uh, after the, the Taysom Hill uh, monstrosity, he <laughs> righted our defense for the rest of the year, a, uh, a consummate professional uh, a, a sad uh, bit of news to hear. Um, one last uh, piece of Longhorn Nation out there. All right, Gerald, let's bring it back up uh, on some happier news. Uh, Godzilla Tron. Gerald, what have you been watching on your giant screen? I'm not a whole lot. My uh, my son's school had a COVID exposure, so he's been at home. So he's been occupying the TV uh, quite a bit when he's not uh, when he's not doing his schoolwork because well, we have two other little ones and I am working. Uh, but I forgot how good the like the Disney animated Robin Hood was. He was watching that the other day. Just absolute <laughs> like top five. Like it's so so stinking good. Uh, something I will be streaming, um, not streaming, but listening to the Alex Virus book series. If you're like into books, it's like a, an urban fantasy thing. Uh, the last book came out last month, and so I just got an opportunity to grab that on Audible, and so I'll be listening to that over the next coming weeks, and so I'll talk about it when I finished it. Man, at some point, Gerald, we need to uh, we need to rank our all time Disney Vault. Uh, you obviously are deeper into it with the slew of Very kids, deep. so you <laughs> you see it much more than me. But uh, I may or may not use your Disney Plus login, so I also see some things. But uh, um, yeah, I, I would be curious where Robin Hood. I think Lion King is still my number one. Oh, but yeah. man, I just Robin Hood is is uh, is such a such a classic. Maybe underrated. I feel like Aladdin, you know, and and. Moana and I don't know there's some good ones I'll have to put some thought I don't want to do it purely off the cuff one of the things I don't mind uh ranking is what I watched this week was Harry Potter's one through five um there are I believe seven eight technically because I think the seventh is split um so I still have a bit to go um I think I started the sixth so I I still have a couple hours because those are like those Johns are like two hours each uh my wife really wanted to uh wanted to watch them and I think there was a reunion special or something that spurred uh spurred we have not watched that but but it's like we'll watch them and then we'll we'll watch the grow watch them all growing up um but I have I, I was spoiler alert was not allowed i am of the generation that i would have read the books um i am a a big reader but i was not uh, permitted to read the books uh due to uh specific reasons family reasons um (laughs) anyways uh but i I, and so i missed out on that as a kid and then uh in college I, i i one time did a marathon of all i believe 
six. I don't maybe when I watched it, the final one wasn't out. I don't I don't remember the timeline, but whatever. However many there were at the time, I, I watched them all, and this is my first time revisiting since all of that. So I am excited to to get through these, and then I can give a proper proper ranking. I'll just say, uh, Sirius Black is amazing. Uh, Gary Oldman Rickman just crushes alan rickman i got sad when i i had forgotten that alan rickman passed until yeah. watched this movie and i was like man there's no new alan rickman roles that's an absolute travesty that guy makes nothing but hits um yeah just incredibly deep like you know any dame you know english actor of of note is somewhere in this universe like it's it's crazy to watch these people and remember all of the things uh that you have watched them in you know like critical smashes dramatic roles and they are all doing like a kids wizard movie and it's amazing but they are they are great movies and i have enjoyed um running through them you know again this is only my second visit into the harry potter world so i'm not as steeped in the lore as some of you others but uh it's good just objectively on its own uh draco malfoy is 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 uh is is objectively the worst. Um, he was he was the <laughs> like, prototype for the on-screen portrayal of Joffrey Baratheon. Like, yeah, absolutely. That's great. That's a great, actually, fantastic point. Because you know, like the first couple of movies, I was like, yeah, just a little dumb kid. And then as you go, I'm just like, I hate this, and that's yeah. a little. Ch- that's a child, and I'm feeling <laughs> feelings of absolute hate. And you're right, not since Joffrey Baratheon. If I wanted to slap a kid so badly, <laughs> uh, so I, I forgot about the reunion. We watched the reunion. The reunion was incredible. My wife, nice. who's not a crier, wept. Absolutely Aww. wept at the end. There was Robbie Coltrane at the end. The guy who plays Hagrid almost got me because he talked about like his legacy and his kids and anything that involves Aww. like kids and legacies. I'm I'm in a sure. puddle. Um, but this okay. This I know we're trying to be quick, but my favorite Harry Potter related story. I don't know if you've heard this before, but uh, my wife also was not able to read the books when she was a kid, and so I big fan. I did like a. A victory lap in college and then hung around in Austin for a couple of months. And so needed something to do. I marathoned the books. Absolutely loved them. Uh, I'm big fan. My wife had never read them. When we got together, I was like, hey, we're, we're flying to Mexico for our honeymoon. Like, you think they're dumb. You're not. But I really think you would love these books. And so she's on the plane and she plows through the first book and a half while we're on the plane. We wow. land in Mexico and she reads two more while we're sitting on the beach drinking. I'm just wow. I'm napping. She's have. But the, <laughs> the thing this is this is the thing. She avoided the plot twist that's at the end of Half-Blood Prince for like 15 years. So had no clue what happens at the end. And again, if you haven't listened to them or, or seen them or watched them, you, I won't spoil it, but a major character is, is killed off by another major character. And it's, it's shocking and it's a big twist. She didn't know that that happened. And so I'm like in another room and she gets to that point and I, she screams like, oh my <laughs> goodness, and like throws the book. Uh, so it's just... It's oh man. that's so pure. It is. It is so pure. It is just such a fun. I just had to share that story. Anywho, on to more important things. Bang in the drum, Kyle. Let's honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics: Big Bertha and Bang the Drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, what you got this week? I called dibs, Gerald. I moved this out of our news and down the forty section because I wanted to give it a little special shot, a spotlight. There are a few positions, you know, in my 
life that I touch with sports that, that have as much importance as the quarterback at the University of Texas, right? I, I'm a fan uh, of many teams. Being a power forward on the Spurs was pretty good for about 20 years. Um, you know, uh, being a, uh, a second baseman on the Astros has been good uh, between a couple of legends occupying that spot. But, you know, the, the quarterback position in, in my favorite sport from my favorite school uh, at the University of Texas just holds a special lore i mean there's 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 the street family that james street would you know he he did the the guys who you know each era of you know 70s 80s 90s has their guy who is either a cult hero or, or an absolute villain um you know there have been quarterbacks who've gone on to to great success there have been quarterbacks who were who were college legends obviously colt mccoy um you know put together one of the greatest all-time winningest uh when he left uh college quarterback and all-time great vince young no no Conversation needed one of the greatest college football players of all time. Sam Ellinger, now in the NFL, you know, a four-year starter. All of those names and all of that legacy, um, you know, is a lot of pressure. And so last year when Casey Thompson was our quarterback, and in the news piece here is, is to say that Casey Thompson entered the transfer portal. He's now officially announced he will be the quarterback at the University of Nebraska. Um, he goes to Nebraska – a team with a coach in Scott Frost who either love him or hate him, but you know, probably a good coach. Like probably he really wants to turn that team around where he was in fact a, an alumnus and, and replaces Adrian Martinez, which they've had a Martinez, you know, like there must be a Stark in Winterfell. There must be a Martinez in the quarterback room at Nebraska for the past 20 years. Adrian Martinez, um, Worked pretty well in that offense, but but was probably limited. Casey comes in, maybe not as much of a runner, but a, a significantly improved passer who can raise the ceiling of a team that finished with like plus forty in a three win season. They 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 just lost so many close games. Um, and and you know if if someone was to go in there and turn it around, and it's Casey Thompson, I would be nothing but enthusiastically proud of his performance. When Shane Bouchelle went to SMU. I cheered my butt off for them. You know, as long as they didn't meet UT in a bowl game, I was cheering for SMU to win every game that they played. I wanted Bouchelle to to have that success and get to the next level. And, and the same goes uh, for Casey. I hope Casey goes and, and just storms the Big Ten, you know, takes over Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, just, just dances all over all of them, puts up, you know, an incredible all-conference caliber year. Um, and, and, and I just wish him nothing but success a guy who did it the right way who came in put in his time at texas was it perfect no did he battle through injuries and show heart absolutely did he you know study under a four-year starter and have to just bide his time which just again to me shows character like i i, I th there's no way that any texas fan should look at this news and not say i am so excited for that kid and i hope that he absolutely crushes it the only thing that the only I, I'm very excited for Casey. And I think he's going to have a great opportunity. I'm not looking forward to the day when Nebraska beats OU with Casey as a quarterback because that'll be a weird day for us on Twitter, both emotionally and people will have dumb takes that hurt my feelings. So I'm banging the drum this week. One quick bang the drum. Uh, I don't believe in bullying people, but I believe in bullying brands. We put out a tweet earlier tagging Under Armour. Brennan Thompson was committed to the Under Armour game, was set to play in the Under Armour game, got hurt, and they will not give him his jersey. If you want to retweet them or send angry tweets at Under Armour, I'm totally fine with bullying brands to get this kid what he has rightfully earned, which is just a memory of the fact that he was one of the top players in the country but the real thing i'm banging the drum this week on is making your own path and betting on yourself um deontay foreman if you don't remember who he is i'm not sure how you got here but we've been we've had this podcast about the amount of time that he's 
since you know he was on campus before we started it. Um, but you know he was an almost two star guy, kind of a breath away from being a two star recruit. Um, it was kind of a calf cow situation to get his brother Armani here, um, and Deontay went on to uh, set records and win the Doak Walker Award uh, in his time here at Texas. Before that, uh, he did a little thing where he rushed for sixty one touchdowns and uh, almost forty five hundred yards in his high, his senior season was named like the district MVP and all these things. And he continues to be a guy that like people weirdly doubt. And then he just shows up and does things. And, and so he was back in Houston over the weekend um, to, for an, a, an NFL game now. He's on the Tennessee Titans. Um, and he wore cleats with his stats on them. He wore cleats with his high school senior season stats and his junior season Texas stats, one on either side. And like the amount of, of chutzpah or whatever you want to call it to do that. Like, I just want to be that cool one time in my life. Like I, like I love my, I have a great life. I have my, I have three sons and a beautiful wife. And like, I've got everything that I want or need, but like just for one moment, I want to be that cool in my life. Like that's just all I need at one point in my life. And then he just goes out and the Tennessee Titans, I believe won that game. Yeah, the Titans won that game, and he rushed for 69 yards, nice, and helped them get this win. He's, he's kind of subbing in for the best running back in the in the league and making a name for himself and hopefully making some money for himself after signed to the Texans and cut for their interpretation of him being lazy. He's remaking a name and, and restaking his legacy, and, and he went to, to back into Houston and, and um, kind of stood on his own and, and did a great job, and we're just super proud of him. Uh, and I'll stop rambling now because I could go on for days. Yeah, I agree. I think he sometimes gets forgotten because it wasn't like the winning team that our other great Texas running backs have have been a part of. Ricky and, and, and Earl winning Heismans, you know, Jamal Charles, you know, just the 10-win teams that those guys uh, were on. Um, obviously, Cedric, I, I think... I mean, he won a Doak Walker. He he was the the 1,060th ranked player in high school that year out of Texas City. This was a homecoming for him, like you said. You know, he's got the dreads, and so the uh, having to not only replace Derrick Henry, but uh, you know, emulate him as well with the the dreads and deciding to run people over as he's been doing the past couple of weeks. Uh, I I also loved it. I think you know I. I'm a Ravens fan, unfortunately, sometimes. Uh, but I will be rooting for the the Titans just for for Foreman if uh, he can, you know, continue to guide that team uh, in the playoffs. But, uh, but yeah, this this was a a close closer win than I expected, um, but a good win for for uh, Dante and the, and the the Titans. And that's all we've got for you this week, Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. If it ain't burning, it ain't turning.